Seltzer Kings podcasts. Hi, everybody. I am Joe Welke. I am Vance. And we are the hosts of Boys Watching Buffy, a podcast where we go through every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer for the first time and give our review and reactions. So come join two men who call themselves boys experiencing Sunnydale and the Buffyverse for the very first time. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere you can find podcasts. You're now listening to The Bradshaw Boys, a podcast where three relatively grown men binge the iconic HBO series Sex and the City. So dust off those DVDs and grab yourself a white wine or even a cosmopolitan and settle in. Take it away, boys. Welcome to the Bradshaw Boys, a podcast where three guys watch their way through sex and the city for the first time ever. Mostly, I'm Corey Cavan. I'm Kevin James Doyle. My name is John Sieber. And, and tonight, go ahead, John. we're not the, we're not the tonight, Bradshaw Boys. We're not the Bradshaw Boys. No, no, no. No way. We, no, no, no. Tonight Who are is we tonight? Very special, special. We are the Bushnell the, Boys. Yay. <laughs> We're the Bushnell Boys. We have an amazing guest. We have Candace Bushnell with us tonight. Hello, Candace. Oh. Hello. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for being here. When we started this podcast like two two years ago, almost, if you would have told us that one, we would be in the middle of everything that's happening with 2020. And then the biggest bright spot coming out of that is that we're sitting down with the original Carrie Bradshaw, the person who is responsible for sex in the city. There's no way that we would ever believe it. It's, it's, it's amazing to be talking to you right now. Oh, yeah. well, it's, it's great yeah. to talk to you guys. <laughs> I mean, if you told me when I, I started writing this and I'm going to read the, from the beginning oh of the yeah. book, yeah. you know, one of the sort of first columns yeah. that yeah. kind of sets it all up. But if you told me back then, and in 1994, when I started writing it, that you know I would be on some kind of computer Zoom thing, <laughs> <laughs> Bradshaw boys talking to three man babies about your about your column. Who'd have thought? <laughs> like I never believe it. Well, yeah. Candace, dreams do really come true. Right, we're so happy. That- <laughs> it's, a, it's a dream to be with you guys. Yeah. Oh, well, goodness. Can- yeah, I wish well, I was 35. Hey. <laughs> well, what is it like to have, just have an idea, just start writing something, put it into the world, and then it become a global phenomenon? I feel like there's very few people that know what it's like to be in your shoes, that there was just a thought in your brain, and now it's it's like a worldwide, iconic Thing that is a part of so many people's lives. What, 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 well, I mean, you know, you can't really set out to do that as yeah. a yeah. thing. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I really set out a long time ago. I mean, really, when I was a kid, I, I, you know, I really noticed sexism, and I was like hyper aware of sexism, mm. and. You know, the relationships between men and women, and the, it, it always seemed very false to me. And and it was something that I really, I felt like I needed to do something about it. And, um, you know, and also being a writer was something that I knew I wanted to do when I was eight years old. So mm-hmm. it was something that just combined. And I moved to New York when I was 19. 
and I started writing. And I was writing about people in New York. And essentially, in a way, that's really what Sex in the City is about. It's about New York City Mm -hmm. and this amazing place where people come to make it. Like, nobody says, I'm going to the city Mm -hmm. to fail. Right. Right. You know, it's just... It's not this, <laughs> right. you know, it's not this, this, the human story in a sense. People go to big cities to make it. And I was one of those people. And so it creates a certain kind of atmosphere where, you know, everybody is ambitious. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's, it was really a, you know, social and societal observation about people. And it was something that, I, you know, I started doing it. I mean, really, when I came to New York and I was nineteen, because it was such an interesting place. And I mm-hmm. and and then I wrote for women's magazines, and I, you know, wrote a lot about men. And so, in it, what I what I'm getting to is that Sex in the City was actually something that, in a sense, I started doing a long time before. And then, you know, coming to New York, you pay your dues and then you finally pay your, you know, you pay your dues and then you make it. So for me, it's, you know, I mean, you can't sit down and say, oh, I'm going to come up with this idea. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's really about being an artist Mm -hmm. and like working on your voice for years and years and years and refining it. And then honestly, it comes together and it resonates, but it's like I was already doing it for years yeah. before that. Mm. Well, we were talking, we were talking earlier, uh, just about like through, like, like I told you before we started recording, I've been reading back through Sex in the City, the book, you know, this week, and we were talking about like your story, and you know, there's a whole thing where they say, and every overnight success is ten years in the making, and like you, you work for like, I don't know, like. 12, 14 years before you started writing the column Sex in the City. I think it was around that. Yeah. And, and, but, you know, and that is really like, that is such a New York story. Yeah. Totally. It's like you said, you come to New York and, and you just keep trying. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you kind of get close, but you also see a lot about life. You know, Mm -hmm. you see. You, you have idols and you meet some of them and some of them you feel are like, oh, God, that's really corrupt. I don't want to be, you know, successful like that person. <laughs> Name names. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you've got to remember New York in the 1990s. Like, yeah. yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Can you, with can you, people like Harvey Weinstein. Oh, well, yeah, yeah wow. this is interesting. So, like, we were talking about this earlier, in the, and I feel like the show really sets up this world a lot, which is based on what you set up in the book, which is that I was telling John, the the New York that you talk about in the book where you're like, well, everybody knew this one guy and no one yeah. would marry this dude. And you're like, or I had to go. There's a part where you talk about going to a dinner with Carl Lagerfeld before you go to some yes. like to new some, like, sex new. club. And you're like, I went with my friend, but I had to go to this dinner. And the New York you talk about is so it's like a small world of glitz and glamour and everyone knows everyone. And we were saying how. New York is kind of like that now, but it's also different because there's a lot of pockets of people and because of technology and Instagram and everything, it's so different. So what was your New York like? 
Well, I mean, I think, you know, one thing that's different, because I think about this quite a bit, is, you know, New York, it literally was like theater. Going out was like theater. And, you know, things, you know, things happened in real life, not on a screen. Mm-hmm. So, you know, reception, the TV reception was terrible in New York forever until cable came along. And even then people were like, you know, why should I stay at home and watch Seinfeld, mm-hmm. which is made in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. when I can go out and, you know, sit in a restaurant and watch all kinds of you know, drama and, and, you know, intrigue going on. And, and I mean, literally like the, you know, it was like a play Mm -hmm. and, um, and it was a world that it was, it was a, it was a paper world, you know, Mm -hmm. paper was still really important Mm -hmm. and, and it was, you know, at, at pe- places were like a club, really. You know, mm-hmm. Manhattan was like a club. It's, it's, and and it really was Manhattan. You know, it wasn't the outer boroughs, which uh, people are going to be like. Did you go? Did you go to the outer boroughs? Were you in Brooklyn? Were you partying in Queens? Were you no, never. No. No, I mean, and and those were, they were areas that they were not gentrified. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So all of those, you know, Brooklyn and Queens were non-gentrified areas that had, you know, neighborhoods that had been there for, you know, 50 years that had a very particular flavor. And Manhattan was a neighborhood, mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. And... um and there was a group of people who, you know, always went out and were in the papers and it was exclusive. I mean, New York, Manhattan, unlike today, it's the opposite of the internet. The internet, in the internet, you want everybody to come in. I want so many likes. Mm. In Manhattan, it was like, no, I want to be in a club and there are only three people <laughs> like me. And Mr. Big and, you know, name somebody else who's really famous, Anna Wintour, yeah. you know? Yeah. Right, right, yeah. yeah. But it was all about exclusivity and the velvet rope. That's so interesting. Wow. Were you were you riding the subway? It, the, the the TV show gets flack because there's not much subway riding. Were you, were you taking the subway around or were you exclusively in cabs in Mr. Big's car? In those days, I mean, first of all, I didn't take the subway because when I moved to New York, I took the subway all the time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I took the subway. Um, it's like, I sound like a 90 year old person. I took it. <laughs> <laughs> but I took it when the cars were covered in graffiti and there was no air conditioning. The, some of the cars were red and they looked more like actual trains. And then like you never went in the doors you always, when the car stopped, there was a a chain in between the yeah, cars. Yeah, yeah. You lifted up the chain. This is what I did. And then I got on in between the cars and then I would ride in between the cars. Were you in the Warriors? Were you in the, were you in the gang from Staten Island? <laughs> from Coney Island? Candace, come out and play. <laughs> but it was, wow. you know, 
it, so then I got to a certain point, and it, I mean, there was stuff that went on in the subways that goes on now, like fraudage. Yeah. Which yeah. is the technical term for when a man rubs up against a woman. Oh, oh yeah. I'm sta- you're standing there, and you're like, what? <laughs> oh, yeah. gosh. Is this really happening? I mean, I, I have to tell you, like, this happened all the time. Mm. I think it mm. still happens, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. Yeah. you know, it gets to a point and I was like, someday I'll never have to ride the subway again. And so when I started to become successful, mm-hmm. I, you know, that was the thing. I was like, uh, you know, I'm I'm not going to go back underground because yeah. I spent, yeah. you know, the first my first like 12 years in Manhattan going underground. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's actually a great thing to hear from you because it kind of makes the show. Sometimes there are these complaints about the show that, that are not realistic, but people, but it's, it's funny to hear that and then be like, that's great. That's true to, to you as a character's life. And, um, I don't know. It's, it's cool to hear that. And it's cool yeah. that that's, it seems like, um, taxis and shoes your taxi and shoe budget must have been the first thing when you became successful. Be like, let's let's get off the subway and let's get some shoes. <laughs> yeah, so well, we had someone. Know. We had someone. Sorry, we had someone ask when you wrote Sex and the City, how many pairs of shoes did you did you own? You know, I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, compared to people who really, really have so many pairs of shoes, like. You know, Amelda Marcos, did she have like 2,000 pairs of Something shoes? Something like that, yeah. yeah. You know, I probably had as many shoes as I could fit into the closet. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, New York closets are small, closet so that's not I, a lot. Know, I don't know. I mean, trying to, you know, then there was a while I kept the shoes in the shoe boxes. And, I, you know, they, like, I always think, oh, I don't have any kind of shoe obsession. But... And so this was something that like Darren did that I was like, I don't have a shoe obsession. (laughs) Uh, But I, you know, ever since I was little, like I had this best friend and she was like, oh, I hated you when we were six because, because you always had the best shoes. And I was like, yeah, she's right. I did. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then I, I think you know, shoes are really, they're kind of in a lot of ways more affordable than clothes. Mm -hmm. And New York was also such a place where there was this, I mean, people would say this, they would say, uh, if you walk into a restaurant, the maitre d' looks at the person's shoes. Mm -hmm. So everything else can be wrong, but if you're wearing the right shoes, you can get in anywhere. So this was also like one of the myths and part of the mythology of mm-hmm. New York. And that's like one of the reasons why the shoes were so important in a yeah. sense yeah. is that, you know, the mm-hmm. shoes, they could almost literally, the right shoes could grant you access, you wow. know, to wow. this exclusive 
glittering, glamorous world of New York City. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's that's unbelievable. Were, were you... Uh, Sex and the City is really well known for its fashion influence, obviously. Were you into the fashion world? I know you were having meals with Karl Lagerfeld, but was fashion on the forefront of your mind? Yes, I was. And in fact, I... You know, I worked for a lot of women's ma- magazines and I also wrote for Vogue. Okay. And <sighs> Anna Wintour, um, she used to send, I mean, she once sent me on a fashion assignment. I was went on an assignment, wear rubber dresses and go and write about it. You know, so that was like one of the things I would do, but you know, so yes, I did. I I did write some about fashion, and so I wore these rubber dresses. Oh, and then she said, "Okay, Candace, and now we're going to do a photo shoot." And I was like, uh, "Okay, fine." And then I had to pose with Jamie King. <laughs> I don't know if you know who she is. She was like a supermodel then. <laughs> she was sixteen, and she was six feet tall. Oh and I gosh. was like. Oh, this is great. You know, I think at the time I was 35, which I'd love to be 35 now, but that seemed really old. <laughs> and, you know, I'm five, six. So, but yes, fashion was definitely part of the beat. And in fact, fashion was, you know, I used to go to all the fashion shows and cover the fashion mm-hmm. shows for the mm-hmm. New York Observer. So, mm-hmm. and it was just, you know, at, th- at that time in the 90s, there was a change in fashion, whereas, you know, before designer fashion was super, super expensive and mm-hmm. only it was really mostly worn by trophy wives. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so designer fashion was really only <laughs> affordable to women who had very rich husbands. Mm-hmm. But in the 90s, as I like to say, there were like more career women who had their own money who were buying designer and they were buying the Dolce and Gabbana and the Gucci uh, and the Tom Ford. Mm -hmm. And in fact, in, I think it was like the first or second episode. I can't remember. Michael Patrick King was writing it and, and he had them going to Bloomingdale's (laughs) (laughs) and I crossed it off and I wrote Gucci, Gucci, Gucci. (laughs) (laughs) He taped it to his, his door, but, um, That's amazing. Fashion was a big part. And I mean, when we first started doing the show, you know, it's like when you first start doing the show, nobody really knows like what's what. And, you know, the the, the costumes were a big deal. And, you know, and Darren did not want to hear about the costumes. And, they, you know, it was like, what's Carrie supposed to wear? And mm-hmm. then he turned around and he pointed and he was like, I want her to dress like her. <laughs> and he pointed at me. Oh my gosh! So were you were you wearing like were you wearing like tutus like the like the Carrie you know the Carrie thing from the title credits? Were you wearing that? I think I was wearing all Dolce then. Okay. Okay. Wow. Actually, okay. Um, but no, I I was actually not wearing tutus, but I probably would have yeah. when I was yeah. younger. Did you have so, a Did you have a nameplate necklace like Carrie and? My, no. No. And it, what was your, do you have a, an outfit of Carrie's that is your favorite in, in the show? That one that sticks out? Oh, gosh. Well, I think, I feel like one of the wackiest ones 
was when she wore the leader hosen. I don't know if you remember that. <laughs> yeah. I'm I, trying to think when that when that was. I know I've seen a picture of it. I'm tr- I'm trying to think which episode that's in, and if we've gotten to it or if we've just seen it on social media. Now, that one is at the very beginning. They go on a picnic. Okay, is that the oh, one where they're Matt in the has park, them all dressed up and like they're all like in fun picnic outfits? That's so um, funny. So funny. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's a favorite outfit. Hmm. We will accept not Lederhosen as the answer. That's perfectly acceptable. <laughs> oh no! So the so the Carrie Lederhosen one. That's when they all take the the picnic in Central Park, and Miranda's wearing the like hoodie with a bucket hat with oh, so probably the, yes. the bucket hat on top of the hoodie, and they're all drinking out of mugs, which is kind of like the mug you have right now. Like yes, they, exactly. They, they bring, I have a little mug. That's like the mug they they. That's like the mug that they are drinking out of in the middle of Central Park. They bring like ceramics to a picnic in Central Park. Yeah. Well, yes. I, I, I want to say, uh, Candace. First of all, it's so fun to hear these stories because, especially now that we're all not in New York right now and New York is on hold, it's so cool to just hear about what it was like being a writer and you know going living the new york life that so many people moved to new york to have and since you wrote this new book is there still sex in the city what was it like returning to um like that writer hat putting that back on uh, for these specific stories and i guess what made you want to write a sequel after to the initial column or that initial i don't know to dip your toe back into the sex in the city world well, I mean, well, first of all, I, I've written, I've written like, I feel like I've written so many books in Sex in the City. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I wrote a book called Four Blondes. I mean, the one thing that all of my books are about is, you know, I mean, to me, they're in a sense continuations of Sex in the City because they're really about that sensibility mm-hmm. that is mm-hmm. defined in the book Sex in the City. You know, these are all very like New York. I mean, there's stories about people in Manhattan. So I did Four Blondes, and then I did Mm -hmm. a story called Trading Up, which is about a Victoria's Secret model who uses all these men to get ahead. And she's like, uh, and Mm -hmm. in that book, there's a character called Comstock Dibble that's like a Harvey Weinstein character. So that's really a book about. You know, New wow. York society wow. right before 9-11. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I did another book called Lipstick Jungle. I, I was I watched the show Lipstick Jungle. Uh, I watched the first season religiously. It was a great show. Yeah. And, you know, so that to me, like Sex and the City was my 30s. Lipstick Jungle was my 40s mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I felt really successful um, you know, when I was in my forties and all of my friends were, you know, really successful, like, uh, you know, Cynthia Rowley and, oh, cool. Oh, cool. you know, I just had a lot of f- female friends who were really coming into their own in terms of their careers. And they weren't anything like, you know, the way career women are portrayed. So mm-hmm. that was lipstick jungle. And then I did another book, one fifth Avenue, which is about the building one fifth and mm. it's about like, you know, media and stuff and, you know, before 2010. Um, and then the young adult Carrie diaries mm-hmm. and, and then 
then I went off and I wanted to write about like the 1770s. <laughs> That's amazing. That's incredible. <laughs> Carrie Bradshaw and, then, and, the, and during the Renaissance. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. My editors are like, no. <laughs> um, and then I got into trouble. Uh, and then I, I had gotten divorced and I moved actually out to the Hamptons because I had my single girlfriends, like my sex in the city, like my real life sex in the city girlfriends. Yeah. Yeah. You know, had also kind of gotten mm-hmm. divorced or found themselves single again and they moved to the Hamptons. So I moved to the Hamptons and, mm-hmm. and then it was like real housewives. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was, but I realized like this is, you know, it's, it's like, again, single women 20, 25 years later. Mm-hmm. It's like you went you went through the whole kind of relationship life cycle. You know, you're, you're, you're single, you're sex in the city, and then you're married, and it's working out, and you're lipstick jungle, and then it doesn't work out. And then it's like, is there still sex in the city? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. But you're in your 50s. Right. I think one thing that is really cool that we've, we've, Notice through the show, and this is why it's interesting to be, you know, three guys who are watching this and it's such a different purview that we have, but in, in, in your personal story and in the show, Sex in the City, uh, you were a woman in your thirties who was choosing to say like, I'm, I'm, you know, I have this career, I'm writing for Vogue, I'm do I'm going out and all these things. And even through everything you just said now, like no matter what your life is defining you as you're able to be uh, an independent voice of a woman saying mm-hmm. like, this is what mm-hmm. I'm doing now and telling that story. And that's one thing that we think is really cool about the show is that yeah. all the other shows on TV and probably at the time you're writing the column, there weren't things on TV that were women in their thirties that were choosing career that were living in New York, that were going out to these places. And it kind of sounds like your book, your new book is revisiting that in the place that you're at with you and your friends in your life now, which is cool that it's just keeping that thread going. It is, it is. And I, but I have to tell you, I hadn't, you know, I hadn't like written any stories like the stories in, is there still sex in the city really since sex in the city Mm. revisited some things like the bicycle boys, um, But, you know, I found all kinds of really interesting, like I went on Tinder. Oh, wow. And that was fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, you you, you know, you got to read the book. Yeah. I, I, you know, because there's, and I, I was so interested because the difference between like what the men said in Sex in the City and what they said in Is There Still Sex in the City is it's there there's definitely a gap um like in sex in the city 25 years ago the, the men were st- they still kind of believed in love mm-hmm. you know i mean they really you know, it was complicated for them and some of them thought like no i won't because it's too cynical but they still really kind of believed in it and then, you know, the younger guys of today, like they're on Tinder, this and that. It's like I, one of the things that's so interesting is how much men criticize other men mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for being, you know, on Tinder. 
And also the stories of like what the things that men did. I I was kind of shocked. Actually, can you give, us, you give us an example. Bad experiences. Huh. Yeah, like, I think. Know, I, yeah, I think you guys think, are like you're quiet. You're like yeah, we no, suck. No, <laughs> no, no. You know what's well, funny though is I. Well, go ahead, Kevin. I, I'll say this that. And this is, um, I, I experienced life before Tinder and I literally remember when my roommate said, uh, said like, dude, check this thing out. And it, it had been out for like a week. And I just remember being like, that is the scariest thing I've ever seen. Like seeing, and then seeing it work. And then the first time I went on a Tinder date and I was just like, this is, feels so crazy. And, and then I feel like I've gone through the cycles of like, using it and it's been positive meeting people and it's been negative. And then also, um, but I have, and I think Corey's experienced this too, that I've had, I've had some really good relationships through online dating and Tinder like that, but I've had a number of girls where it went really well. Just be like, you don't realize like the things that people say and how much fun the dates that we've gone on have been. And I feel like part of that, is from like putting effort into dating and not just wanting to hook up using it is thinking of it as a way to meet new, interesting people using an online source rather than just using it to like meet up late and just be like, what's up? Like, let's, let's hook up. Like I've never done that. And it's almost just a tool to date the way that people used to date mm. to meet interesting people. It's but like, that's yeah. not how a lot of people use it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, you know what? I mean, my feeling about it is it, you know, if you have a good personality and, you know, you're somewhat balanced and you're a reasonable person, um, you, I mean, you can make any of these things work for you. Yeah. 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 You know, but if you are a little like, mm, um, you know, I think it can be, I, I think it can be difficult. It's very hard hard to judge people from a photograph oh yeah, yeah takes, so true. take some of that like beautiful mystery out of like this we talk a lot about what it'd be like to watch the show now with online dating oh my and gosh. there's it's like it automatically takes out some of the fun mystery storytelling of like m the way people meet and the way people court and the way people flirt you know exactly um, yeah <laughs> Well, speaking of some of the stories that you had talked about, and you had mentioned to us that you, you wanted to read a few things from the original book. Could we do that right now and have you read a few things? We we can. I'm going to read a little bit. Oh, oh my so gosh. Cool. We're so, we're so <laughs> excited so about this. Yeah. Love at the Bowery Bar. It's Friday night at the Bowery Bar. It's snowing outside and buzzing inside. There's the actress from Los Angeles looking delightfully out of place in her vinyl gray jacket and miniskirt with her gold medallioned, two-tanned escort. And there's the actor, singer, and party boy, Donovan Leach. Do you guys remember him? He, he's season one, right? He's a real person. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> He's season real life. Season real life. Real life. <laughs> real life. Donovan Leach in a green down jacket and a fuzzy beige hat with ear flaps. There's Francis Ford Coppola at a table with his wife. There's an empty chair at Francis Ford Coppola's table. 
It's not just empty. It's alluringly, temptingly, tauntingly, provocatively empty. It's so empty that it's more full than any other chair in the place. And then, just when the chair's emptiness threatens to cause a scene, Donovan Leach sits down for a chat. Everyone in the room is immediately jealous, pissed off. The energy in the room lurches violently. Friends, this is romance in New York. At my table at the Bowery Bar, there's Parker, 32, a novelist who writes about relationships that inevitably go wrong, with his boyfriend, Roger. And then there's Skipper Johnson, an entertainment lawyer. Skipper is 25 and personifies the Gen X dogged disbelief in love. I just don't believe I'll meet the right person and get married, he said. Relationships are too intense. If you believe in love, you're setting yourself up to be disappointed. You just can't trust anyone. People are so corrupted these days. But it's the one way, ray of hope, Parker protested. You hope it will save you from cynicism. Skipper was having none of it. The world is more fucked up now than it was 25 years ago. I feel pissed off to be born in this generation when all these things are happening to me. Money, AIDS, and relationships, they're all connected. Most people my age don't believe they'll have a secure job. When you're afraid of the financial future, you don't want to make a commitment. Wow. I understood his cynicism. Recently, I'd found myself saying I didn't want a relationship because at the end, unless you happen to get married... You were left with nothing. Mm. Skipper took a gulp of his drink. I have no alternatives, he screamed. I wouldn't be in shallow relationships, so I do nothing. I have no sex and no romance. Who needs it? Who needs all these potential problems like disease and pregnancy? I have no problems. No fear of disease, psychopaths, or stalkers. Why not just be with your friends and have real conversations and a good time? Barkley, 25, was an artist. Barkley and my friend Carrie had been seeing each other for eight days, which meant that they would go places and kiss and look into each other's eyes, and it was sweet. With all the 35-year-olds we knew up to their cuffs and polished cynicism, Carrie had thought she might try dating a younger man, one who had not been in New York long enough to become calcified. Hmm. Barkley, this was one of the modelizers. Yeah, Barkley, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Told Carrie he was romantic because I feel it. And he also told Carrie he wanted to adopt Parker's novel into a screenplay. Carrie had offered to introduce them, and that's why Barkley was there at the Bowery Bar that night. But when Barkley showed up, he and Carrie looked at each other and felt nothing. Perhaps because he had sensed the inevitable, Barkley had brought along a date. A strange young girl with glitter on her face. (laughs) Nevertheless, when Barkley sat down, he said, I totally believe in love. I would be so depressed if I didn't believe in love. People are halves. Love makes everything more meaningful. And then... Number this is so, three. This is so. The Bachelor of Coco Pazzo. This is about Capote Duncan. Oh my yes! Gosh. <laughs> Wait, can this we is, just say, before, is... before you read this, can yeah. you just say that we just, we watched the pilot... And we just, we thought Capote Duncan was going to be like this main character. So our very first episode of doing this podcast, we talked about Capote Duncan like 20 minutes long and our (laughs) listeners, they still yell at us because we bring him up. We're like, Capote Duncan is 
is Mr. Big to our trio right here, okay? <laughs> He's yes. our Mr. Big. Okay. So the more well, info on Capote Duncan, the better. Yeah. See, yeah. I actually thought at Capote Duncan is based on this guy I know. And this description of him is real. Like, this guy was basically the hottest guy, one of the hottest guys in New York. Oh, I love it. Like oh you guys. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, he was like, a, you know, media, super smart guy. Yeah. You know, not a hedge fund guy. Oh, I love... I- I love then, finding out. I love finding out that you describing him makes me love the real Capote Duncan even more. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, <laughs> but but I don't know if you'll like him after this. I'm okay, gonna read great. It. All right, go okay, for okay. it. Go for it. <laughs> okay, years ago, when my friend Capote Duncan was one of the most eligible eligible bachelors in New York, he dated every woman in town. Back then, we were still romantic enough to believe that some woman could get him. Mm. He's got to fall in love someday, we thought. Everyone has to fall in love. And when he does, it will be with a woman who's beautiful and smart and successful. But then he went out with those beautiful and smart and successful women and they came and went. And he still hadn't fallen in love. Mm. Well, we were wrong. Today, Capote Duncan sits at Coco Pazzo and says he's ungettable. He doesn't want a relationship, doesn't even want to try, isn't interested in the romantic commitment, doesn't want to hear about the the neurosis in somebody else's head. And he tells women that he'll be their friend and that they can have sex with him, but that's all there is and that's all there's ever going to be. And it's fine with him. It doesn't even make him sad anymore the way it used to. Now, I have to tell you, this guy... (laughs) Is married and has a kid. Oh my gosh! And I'm friends with his wife. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually did. I mean, this is you know. I mean, this is the thing about New York that you know there were like powerful characters. You know, people yes. who would just be like, "What makes that person tick?" Yeah. And yeah. this guy is one of those guys. And I actually put him in other books, but I gave him a different name. Oh, my God. So I thought that he was going to be like one of the leads. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But here's what happens. This is what happens in TV. You can't plan that. So what happens is like a lot of it is in a sense, it's almost kind of casting. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. For so mm. the guy who played Capote Duncan, I, I can't remember Jeff Nordling. Jeffrey Je- Nordling. Jeff Jeff Nordling, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, I thought he was great, but for some reason, like I don't know, like the audience or whatever, they just didn't quite attach. And then I mm-hmm. mean, then they hired mm-hmm. Chris Noth to be Mr. Big. Like, listen, they could have hired somebody else. Mm-hmm. And you know, at the end of season two, when Mr. Big gets married. It could have been that, like, hey, you know what? The audience doesn't like him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, the Mm -hmm. audience doesn't like Mr. Big. So he is married. Goodbye. Mm -hmm. We're going to give her another lead Mm. actor who, you know. Right. So those are the kinds of things that go into these decisions. You know, it's like it kind of happens. 
Is it? You know, is the it, audience it, has some like how the audience responds to the characters has something to do with yeah. you yeah. know whether or not they last. Right. Yeah. Right. Then what happened is you know Mr. Big goes off and gets married. I was like, okay, that's going to be the last we see of him, and that mirrored my real life mm. because my Mr. Mm. Big did marry somebody else. And Darren Starr, huh. you know, huh. well knew that because we were best friends. Did you push that woman down the stairs? No. <laughs> okay. That okay. never happened. So he got married. Darren shows it to me. He know, I was really upset when my Mr. Big got married. Uh, you know, I mean, Darren, Darren is actually in the book. Really? Sex really? in the City. Oh, my gosh. Wow. So, so I have to look up what I called him. But yes. <laughs> He is in the book. So, wow. wow. So, uh, so, but then the audience loves Chris Note. Right. They want to see Mr. Big. So all of a sudden, it's like Carrie needs to have an affair with Mr. Big. Mm-hmm. They got to get rid of mm-hmm. Natasha. Yeah. And yeah. Darren, yeah. Was Darren asked me, he was like, do you want to play Natasha? And I was like. No. <laughs> it was like, they had an actress, she couldn't do it. He's like, come down here and play Natasha. I was like, I'm busy. I can't come yeah. to set. Come on, come on. I have stuff so, to do. I have books to write. Right. Yeah, exactly. exactly. It's Wait, so funny that, though. Oh, go ahead, sorry, John. Go ahead. Go ahead. I guess that I was, begs a, an important question. Are, are you team big or team Aiden for Carrie? You know what? I, I just, I never going to, be team Aiden. Okay. Okay. I mean, I just, I can't for a variety of reasons, but one of okay. the reasons is that my, you know, my mother hated Aiden. <laughs> really? In the TV show? On the she, TV show. That's amazing. Like, you know, Wh- she would watch why? it and she was why? like, I hate that Aiden. Oh. He's too <laughs> long for her. My mother was never, she hardly even watched TV. <laughs> But but of course she knew the real Mr. Big because he'd come to the house. Yeah. And, you know, he dumped yeah. me. She yeah. was like, he's so stupid. <laughs> she was she was really nice about it. Did you did you ever date did you ever date an Aiden in your real life? Did you date a guy that was like Aiden? I, I, not like, probably not really, but I did I did go to dinner with um the What's his name? Who plays Aiden? John Corbett. Oh, uh, John Corbett. Right. John yes, John Corbett. Okay. okay. Yes. So that, that I kind counts. of, I kind of went out to dinner with him. It was like it was romantic. All I could think was, my mother's gonna kill me. <laughs> <laughs> and then he goes back to LA, and then and then I'm like, two days later, it's like, oh, he's dating Bo Derek. Uh, <laughs> could you imagine if you brought him home? You cannot compete with Bo Derek. Like, forget it. <laughs> That is too funny. Oh, that would have just been that would have been so meta and crazy if if it's you and John Corbett, but then Carrie ends up with Big. That's that's wild. Yeah, that would have um, been amazing to mess yes. with the world. But my mother was always saying, you know, get rid of him, and I I would I was like, Mom, it's, I, it's not up to me. I don't yeah. write the show, yeah. so I can't do it. <laughs> is yeah. Um. Is it is it, what is it like as a writer when all of a sudden you don't have control of this thing anymore? You you create this thing and then we're asking you all these questions and the world has all these opinions. But really, it's what's it like to have your life, even your mom, read this stuff and then the show? Like, 
do you have to have a certain amount of like live and let live, like it's out of my hands now? Or what's that like? Uh, you know, it's really, I, I mean, I, can, I mean, at the end of the day, this stuff is, it's a business, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, it's a business and that's one of the things that you figure out pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, you know, the other, uh, it's also a nasty business. Mm. I, I mean, mm. there's no mm. way around it. Mm. TV is a nasty business. They are trying to fuck mm. you over before mm. uh, you're even out the door of their office. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a petty business. It's a business where, you know, actors count the number of lines they have mm-hmm. and complain if another actor has more lines. Um, you know, it's a business where people take credit for stuff. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's not, as my publisher would say, a gentleman's business. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, so I think the reality of that is the part that keeps it from ever being, you know, too heady. And, you know, I feel like as a writer, that's one of the things that I really try to explore is like the underside of glamour. And, um, you know, so I, I mean, there are like personal ups and downs with it that happen, but, you know, I mean, in general, it's, you know, I mean, the dream is, hey, I wrote this, it's made into a TV series, and I get money every episode, and mm-hmm. I don't have to do anything. Yeah. <laughs> to me, that is winning. Yeah. yeah. So, well, and, um, it's, and it's beautiful. And that you've the been other able, thing you've is, you know, able. I love the show, but, you know, I love every show. I love the care, you know, I love the Carrie Diaries. It's the yeah. cutest yeah. show that there ever was. And, and, you know, Lipstick Jungle is fantastic. The difference is that those shows didn't last for six years. You know, they lasted for two seasons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sex in the City lasted for six seasons. And it probably really started to pick up after the second season because yeah. it kind of takes yeah. that much time. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, but, we, you know, we, you, you we, really, we, there's so many people involved. You want everybody to, you want people to feel like, hey, I, this is, you know, I, this is my work. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. they, they do their best work. Mm-hmm. We, uh, we, we are coming to the, the end of season six, and then we're going to do the movies and we've enjoyed doing this podcast so much. We've been looking for any excuse to keep going. And so we're definitely going to, uh, do two things. One, we want to watch the Carrie diaries. Yes. And oh God, you have to, it's the cutest show. Oh my Lord. And yeah, we're excited to do that. And then we also are going to, for our Patreon listeners, we're going to uh, do a book club. And of course, we're going to read the original Sex and the City, but we're going to read Is There Still Sex in the City Absolutely. With, our, with our patrons and go through a little book club too. That is fantastic, guys. So I love that. Yeah. So Well, when you do the Carrie Diaries, I, I got to come on. Oh, please. Yeah, yeah. That would be, amazing. Oh be get... amazing. We'd love to have you. I don't know. It was the cutest cast too. Yeah. I'm excited to see it. Well, um, thank you. It's it's really like, you know, you kind of know, like, 
nothing really bad's going to happen. <laughs> and, and there's something to be said for that feeling. Yeah. yeah. Oh, totally. Especially oh, totally. in these days. Like, yes. I can go there. Yes. It's going to be okay. Yeah. I think also a prequel, there's not that many prequels like that. There's usually prequels in superhero movies. There's not prequels in in something like Carrie Bradshaw. You know what I mean? I think that's like a, such a cool concept that um, I feel like could be explored more with other shows. But it's just awesome that this show got a prequel. It is. Well, I was, you know, it was it was great. And Amy Harris, who was there on the first day of the set of Sex and the City and, you know, started as Darren's assistant, is the sh- was the showrunner. That's amazing. So wow. she knew, like, every tiny detail of Sex and the City. Um, and so it was, and it was just, it was amazing to see her, you know, go into, over, like, those 10 years, basically to being the boss. So from being Darren's assistant to being the boss. So that's... Wow also super cool that's, that's great that's amazing that's amazing well i think we could sit and talk and pick your brain for is uh, hours and hours but uh i think we we should wrap it up so i we just want to thank you so much for being on the being on the podcast for reading from your book it was truly a surreal experience uh being with you while you're reading from from your book and uh it was amazing. can't thank you enough for the time that you spent with us tonight oh guys well thank you it's is there still sex in the city? Everybody, please buy it, and then we're all going to read it together. Yes, yeah, yes. and we'll Yay. do we'll do Zoom we'll do a Zoom book club. Everyone that reads it, oh, that'd we're be gonna, amazing. We're gonna we're gonna sell we're gonna sell some books, books. and we're gonna <laughs> thank we're gonna, you. Absolutely, also, I, you know, I'm. It's going to. It's been sold to be a TV series. No, oh can goodness. we be in it? But it's totally different can, than huh? the book. I mean, they're like. It's like two main characters. Are there dragons? Is it like, is it like, uh, is this going <laughs> to take place in Azeroth or something like that? <laughs> is there room? Are there, no, is there room but for, it's, for, but it's, you know, I, I should have interviewed you guys for the book. I know. Listen, if we there's room to write in three guys into the, uh, three yeah, podcast mom. guys into the TV show, we're here. We're here for that. Yes. If there's room for that. <laughs> Okay, I, we also, you know, you never also, know. You're in the Hamptons. Yeah. The book takes place in the Hamptons. That's right. There you go. There you go. You know, we also, uh, if there's ever room for us to collaborate, if you want to do that 1700s TV show, absolutely. I'd say we go back and do a 1700s TV show. It focuses around Capote Duncan. He is like, <laughs> he's like a player in the Renaissance era, but he's also an artist. And it's just him going through trying to sell his wares and find the love of his life. And trying and to, maybe trying to figure out how to it. get a girl's corset off and just being like <laughs> the corset's always the top layers <laughs> i like this that's good all right awesome. we'll, we'll start well, congratula- congratulations on the book and congratulations on the show we need more stuff to watch so we yes. cannot wait for this show to come out great thank you awesome. guys thank you so much thank you so much candace the Bradshaw Boys stars Corey Cabin, Kevin James Doyle, and John Sieber. The show is produced by me, Jeremy Balin, and narrated by Katie Sieber. This podcast is part of the Seltzer Kings Network. Check out all their great podcasts at seltzerkings.com. You can find the boys on their socials at The Bradshaw Boys or on their website at thebradshawboys.com. And as always, if you see them in the street, tip your glass. Thanks for listening. Seltzer Kings Podcasts.